Hey everyone, you're listening to the Climbing Advocate Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Horgan. This show brings you advocates from across the country to speak about their experiences and advocacy work that happens beyond the crag. This includes climbing advocates that work on a local scale, policy professionals, athletes, and all others in between that have a deep love for the climbing environment. My aim is to connect more climbers to the work that these advocates do and inspire everyone that no matter how big or small, they have an opportunity to get involved and do their part. This show is brought to you in partnership with Access Fund. For nearly 30 years, Access Fund has been the organization that has kept our beloved climbing resources conserved and cared for. From stewardship to influencing climbing policy and educating current and new climbers on the best responsible behavior, Access Fund is on it. As they say, no crag is too big or too small to not have its interests represented. Support Access Fund by visiting accessfund.org and by supporting your local climbing organization. The show is also supported by Gnarly Nutrition. We want to thank Gnarly Nutrition for being a supporter of Access Fund and the Climbing Advocate Podcast. Gnarly Nutrition and its employees recognize that it is a privilege to visit and recreate in outdoor spaces. They believe that these spaces should be protected and safe for all to recreate in. Gnarly Nutrition. Want more. Do more. Be more. Black Diamond is proud to sponsor the Climbing Advocate Podcast. A longtime partner Access Fund, Black Diamond champions conservation, preservation, and access to mountain, crag, and canyon environments while striving to minimize their environmental footprint. We are deeply grateful for their commitment to protect America's climbing. Visit blackdiamondequipment.com and search for sustainability for more information. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest installment of the Climbing Advocate Podcast, episode number 32, a conversation with Brianna Mazzolini Blanchard. But before I introduce Brianna, you may have noticed another ad that came after Gnarly Nutrition. That's right. Black Diamond has jumped on as a sponsor of the podcast. And I just want to give a quick thanks so much to Black Diamond. I am beyond excited to have them sponsor the show. So thank you so much, Black Diamond. All right. Brianna is the board secretary for the Red River Gorge Climbers Coalition and a prominent figure in the world of social advocacy. I was really looking forward to my conversation with Brianna because I see her as a very well-rounded climber and advocate. And what I mean by that is she just really applies herself in multiple facets of climbing. She applies the same amount of dedication to her personal climbing goals as she does to advocating for social equity in the sport as well. She has been in the world of social work professionally for many years now, and she brings her experience from that into climbing, and it really shows in a way that she can speak so passionately about and so intelligently about on these topics. She appropriately chairs the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee for the RRGCC and has made some serious strides in the education and outreach component of the organization through the creation of the Climb Late with AL8 events. So these Climb Late events, they're really cool and they're spelled they're spelled uniquely. They're spelled with the letter L and the number eight, like L8 late. I didn't catch on at first, I feel kind of silly, but these uh, Climb Late events were created to remove barriers that stood in the way of anyone being able to experience rock climbing. I'll let Brianna explain some more about that, but what I can say is it has undoubtedly created a more inclusive community around Cincinnati, where she lives, and other nearby metropolitan areas, as it has exploded in popularity over the last six months since they started the events in January of this year. 
but of, of course, as we talk about, uh, unfortunately as well, the negative feedback and, co- and comments begin to roll in when the events are promoted and when Brianna posts them on her social media to promote them and whatnot. And I asked her about how she deals with that kind of negativity that comes with promoting these kinds of events. And she said that it's, she, she pretty much ex- expects it every time, but it comes down to whether it's worth engaging with these folks that bring the negative comments or not or just pressing forward and continuing to move on with the events. And of course, she's gonna choose the latter to keep pressing forward with full confidence that the that she and the organization are doing the right thing to get more people involved with the sport and breaking down those barriers to allow them to do so. And I think it's just one of those classic examples that no matter how much good you're doing, just not everyone's gonna be supportive of your efforts. And that sucks, but the RRGCC and Brianna, they just press on anyway and keep kicking ass. We continued the conversation expanding into the broader elements of social equity in climbing and what she sees as the most pressing issue in the climbing community. Her answer is simply education. I really couldn't agree agree more that it comes down to people learning what they don't know or just might not understand. It takes patience to listen, but there's always room to listen. And that's, that's one point that we firmly agreed on and talked about at length. And I was getting pretty fired up during this part of the conversation because it was a very powerful part of the conversation. And I tell her, I mean, I could have talked to Brianna all day about this stuff. I mean, she's, she was just such a, a joy to talk to about everything here. And finally, we get into talking about some of her own personal climbing accomplishments and aspirations, which is something we really don't talk about on this show since it's you know, solely focused on advocacy work, but I deemed it necessary this time around since there are so many parallels that can be drawn between Brianna's dedication to social advocacy in and outside of the climbing community and her dedication to her own personal climbing goals. And I asked her to share a story about about a particular boulder in Tennessee and the tenacity it took to finally put that thing down. And if that story does not get you stoked, I don't know what will. I mean, I was ready to run through a brick wall after she got done sharing it. It was awesome. So if you aren't already following Brianna, she is very active on her Instagram. You can find her at Dirtbag Mama. She's making some serious waves in the pool right now. So give her a follow, show her the support. I guarantee you're going to be able to take something away from what she shares. I know I have, and you can too. All right. Well, I feel like I've talked long enough here, so I want to get on with it. Here's my conversation with Brianna Mazzolini Blanchard. Enjoy. Yeah, well, how, how are things? How are things in Cincinnati? Things are good. Uh, we had a bit of a heat wave last week, um, uh-huh. but it has cooled off. We got some storms uh, that rolled through yesterday and the day before that cooled things off, uh, which was helpful. Our uh, our air conditioning unit seems to want to go out every year, so <laughs> we're in the process <laughs> of... Uh, working with technicians to get it fixed again. Um, so mm-hmm. having the cooler weather, you know, the 60s and 70s today and hopefully tomorrow will will be nice. Yeah, but we're good. Sunny skies and nice weather, nice summer weather. Good, good. Yeah, I mean, the, the joys of being a homeowner, uh, right, AC right. units and water <laughs> pumps and all those good things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering how warm it got out by you guys. I mean, I'm in, you know, southwest Colorado and, mm-hmm. you know, we got blasted with heat a few weeks back. It reached like 90 by us, which is mm-hmm. hot. It was right. just hot. Yeah, and I just know, kind of know it's hot everywhere. Is it, How's the humidity then? Oh, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I uh, went for a run last night and I was able to get half my distance that I normally do. Uh, just uh, I made a poor choice and, and ran like, you know, seven o'clock p.m., which is, you know, a hot time of the day because uh-huh. the, it's the you know, we've been baking for like most of the day and the sun hasn't gone down yet. But it's muggy. It's uh, sweaty. But, um, you know, it's summer. So, yeah, yeah. Midwest summer. Yeah, I was in Wisconsin right. slash Chicago last weekend. And yeah, definitely, definitely the same kind of thing. Yeah, well, I'm I'm super psyched to finally get to kind of talk to you one on one. We've exchanged some, you know, some sporadic Instagram messages in the past, and so I'm super psyched to get your time this morning. I know it's going to be approaching lunchtime here for you soon, so I won't keep you too long. Yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, yeah, you're based in Cincinnati. We were just talking about that a little bit. Uh, what do you do there uh, professionally? Right. So I've been um, in the nonprofit industry uh, since I graduated from college. I moved down to Cincinnati in 2008. It's been a while. So my memory <laughs> um, to from Cleveland, Ohio. So I've been an Ohioan all of my life nice. and um, moved down to come to school um, and yeah, I didn't get a, a degree or my background isn't in nonprofit, but um, I do have a background in education. And uh, so, you know, when I graduated from college, um, I went into the nonprofit sector doing some things uh, with education. And I currently um, oversee the education program for one of the uh, social service agencies here on the west side of Cincinnati. Um, so I've been in the nonprofit social service agency for quite some time as my paid career. Nice. <laughs> but of course, I am also and have been for the last year and a half a volunteer with the Red River Gorge Climbers Coalition. So I spend quite a lot of time. Um, it's almost like a second job, but um, <laughs> you know, I've got those those nonprofit that nonprofit blood running through my veins, and so uh, <laughs> you know. Do do more than I am ever paid for, which is the, which is a reward for me. Honestly, I love doing it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how a nonprofit generally works. You do very passionate work that you're passionate about, but yeah, you'd make some sacrifice maybe on the salary side, but uh, it still comes with its benefits. I work for a nonprofit as well, so I totally hear what you're saying and have been for a few years now. Not as long as you have, but um, well, yeah, Cleveland. My wife's from Cleveland. I've spent a cool. little bit of time there. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Ohioan, fellow Midwesterner, love talking to other Midwesterners. That's great. Um, yeah. And I was, I thought I had seen a while back, uh, you had posted something, I think, about working in the social services, social work arena. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you about that and uh, if that was something you did professionally or if that was just more of a, you know, passionate, passionate advocacy thing uh, that that you do, which we'll get into here in a little bit. Um, So yeah, lots of experience in that social realm for sure. Yeah. How about climbing? What, uh, when did that, when did that come into your, into your, uh, into your life? So my history with climbing um, is really funny, actually, um, because I see so many different friends that are like, oh, today marks 10 years or, you know, and so for me, um, I remember I went into the the rock climbing gym for the first time back in 2012, but it wasn't this like life changing experience for me where I like, you know, was outside every week, like I just was obsessed with it. I actually don't know that I went back to it for quite some time. And, um, you know, when I did go into the climbing gym, it was like my husband would tell me it was like pulling teeth to get me to come with him. (laughs) Um, You know, I was very um, athletic and fit and things like that. But I just, um, you know, climbing for me wasn't like 
everything. Um, but I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it a lot. And, you know, we were getting outside more and more in, I'd say around 2015, I spent some time outside, but then in 2015, I got pregnant with our son. Um, so I stopped climbing. Uh, I did a little climbing, you know, throughout my pregnancy, but, um, for the most part, just like getting on the wall in the gym to, to maintain a muscle memory. (laughs) Um, and then, um, our son was born in 2016 and I took, uh, quite some time off uh, from even, you know, engaging in the climbing community, um, up until around, you know, 2018, which I remember very specifically, like right around mother's day in May of 2018, like getting on, you know, a moderate boulder problem in the gym and like realizing, oh man, I could actually do this and and try a little harder, which propelled me um, into, you know, my training regimens and really becoming a dedicated rock climber and not just being dragged into the gym once every other week by my husband who very much (laughs) loves rock climbing and has probably been consistently climbing for like twice as long as I have. Um, (laughs) So there wasn't ever this like moment in time except like May 2018 when I remember like that was the pivotal moment for me where I went from it being very much a hobby that I did once in a while to a consistent, you know, two, three, four times a week in the gym going outside. Um, And so, you know, I, I say like four or five years, give or take, because I have rock climbed like prior to 2018, yeah. but um, that true dedication came like, you know, in the beginning months of, of 2018 to really um, propel me into like where I am now and, um, you know, help me set goals for the future in terms of my climbing performance. Yeah, for sure. I, mean, I feel like you really dove straight into the deep end with, uh, yeah. with your involvement with the coalition, with your your dedicated training regimen. And like, it, well, I, I set aside some time here at the end to talk about this some more, but I feel like yeah, you advanced very quickly and just uh, your dedication to this side of climbing, just your personal goals is, uh, yeah, it's pretty inspiring. So we'll, we'll dive, dive into that some more here at the end. <laughs> uh, the, the red seems to be your bread and butter. Uh, you know, it's really not that far from Cincinnati. Right. Yeah. We, um, you know, once, once you get across the bridge, which uh, into Kentucky, which seems to take, you know, I joke like (laughs) a quarter of the time to get there. (laughs) Um, we're a little under two hours, uh, to the mother load parking lot. Um, so, you know, Slade, the Slade exit is even closer. And so we're, we're under two hours, which is really nice for those day trips that we, um, can, can take often. Yeah. Oh, I'm so jealous. Day trips to the red. Yeah. I know there's a lot of city urban dwellers that uh, hit up the red, you know, being from Chicago, mm-hmm. I know there's a contingency right. of Chicago climbers that make the pretty long trek. What is it like six, seven, eight hours, something like that down there yeah. for, for a short weekend. And <laughs> But I've heard from those Chicagoans that it's their home crag, which actually kind of blew me away a little bit just totally. due to the, the distance. Uh, yeah. I'm not really sure where I expected their home crag to be else, you know, otherwise. <laughs> but, um, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, there's uh, there's Devil's Lake State Park in like southern Wisconsin, uh, not too far from Madison-ish. Uh, so did that kind of style of climbing speak to you well? Did you, that, uh, did you kind of jump in and, and learn it quickly and, and yeah, to run with it? Honestly, no. <laughs> I didn't either when I went. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have, you know, it's funny. My husband is a like ride or die Red River climber, loves it. <laughs> um, and 
what's funny is I, I started as a boulderer. Um, I started in the gym, made my way outside. And um, in terms of bouldering, like, you know, I love super steep roof climbing, but I also love really uh, vertical technical climbing. And I, I truly like struggle with the fitness needed to uh, succeed in the red, you know, mm-hmm. I, um, it, it's style is very, indivi- like, it's very specific to the area. Um, you know, big, the, the biggest jugs you'll ever fall off of, right. It's like yep. the coined catchphrase for the area. And, um, it's so fun and, you know, it's safe because everything is super steep and the, the falls are great. Um, yep. but I, I do really struggle with, um, you know, su- succeeding <laughs> on some of those <laughs> steep climbs, really um, becoming skilled in Red River climbing. But, uh, you know, it is the closest crag and, and a great crag at that to where we live. Um, my husband lives and breathes Red River climbing and I love the area. I love um, the community. I, I love the climbing, even though it might not suit my skill set best. Um, I am a learner. <laughs> so, um, you know, it has a lot to teach me that I want to learn from it. And some of that is like how to maintain getting pumped and climb 30 more, 40 more feet. Um, and so it's, it's all about, for me, like, learning from it. The rock is there. It, uh, it's never going anywhere, you know, we hope. Um, and it's, it's there to, to teach me a lesson. And so I look at it in that way. So I don't get too hard on myself when I am struggling and, um, yeah, it's just, I, I really appreciate it for what it has yet to teach me, which is going to be like a lifelong lesson. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. That's a very healthy perspective to have. Thank and, you, you know, in the, in the short week that I was there a couple of years ago, it's yeah, I get, I get caught up in like, I just trained all winter and now I'm just getting burned on everything. Uh, yeah, it was it was a humbling experience. But just like you said, it, it you, you learn a lot. It's it, the climbing's great. The community is great. Hanging out at Miguel's is great. I'm actually mm-hmm. wearing my Miguel's pizza t-shirt right now. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> uh, is there any other place that you're particularly fond of or, or travel to? Yeah, so I um. This is funny. I might get in trouble for saying this. I really love the new. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. right? There's that like the red <laughs> and the new rivalry, which is hilarious. But I um I enjoy bouldering in the new. I really um you know my next couple projects are there. I like to stand on my feet when I'm sport climbing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you know those vertical climbs really speak to me. Um, and I've got you know I've got friends there and everything, and and I don't really you know. It's it's a silly thing. Like I don't buy into the whole red new rivalry or anything. I, I love building community everywhere I go. Yeah. Um, but I've really loved traveling to the new. It's the the great thing about the new as well is like you've got this amazing sport climbing, but also you have fantastic bouldering, which you know the Red River Gorge area um, is just sort of on the periphery of that. Like it's just starting to um, to have some like bouldering i know there are some folks that are out there who have really are really passionate about developing bouldering areas in the sort of vicinity um so but you know um the new is the second closest crag it's four hours um they've got a great campground and um it's help it's accessible for me and my family um so yeah i really i really enjoy the new and i always always end up in chattanooga um Mm -hmm. because the the bouldering's great um Sport climbing is great in Chattanooga too. 
Um, yep. But I'm, I'm just starting to to travel more for climbing um, and and explore some new places. But those are those are definitely close to my heart in terms of where I enjoy going outside of the red. Yeah, I mean, you got two world class areas like within close striking distance of Cincinnati. Like that's you're in a pretty awesome spot. Yeah, I think so. How was that Western road trip? I saw you were out uh, kind of near my neck of the woods a little bit. Uh, yeah, how, how was that? It was great. Um, I got to go on a road trip. Um, so big thank you to my husband who stayed with my kid <laughs> for that week and a half uh, because I did get to go on a road trip with my best friend, Devin. And we uh, we went out to Lander, Wyoming, um, spent some time with uh, Chris Hampton, who is the owner of Power Company Climbing. We got to develop some boulders, clean some areas, and um, and even FA some stuff, which was really cool. Um, and, you know, spend quality, intentional time with people that are in my circle. Um, I am a part of, uh, SCARPA inaugural athlete, men, athlete mentee initiative. I want to make yeah. sure I say that correctly. And so, um, Devin is another athlete mentee, um, that I've known prior to the program, but, um, you know, we got to do this trip together. We drove, uh, which was actually not too bad. I mean, it was like 21, 22 hours, but, um, having good company was, was helpful for sure. Made the trip, um, shorter or feel shorter, I suppose. Um, and then my mentor Marina in lives in Salt Lake city. So, um, I got to spend a good chunk of time with her. We climbed, um, in Utah in the mountains. Um, and, yeah, it was just such a great trip. It felt nice to not need to, you know, I find myself sometimes running around everywhere to see everybody that I want to see and experience like all of the things that I want to do in one particular area. But it, it felt so nice to take this intentional trip, spend time with certain people, even if it was only like two or three people and uh, really have that quality time with them and get to rock climb with them. Um, yeah. It, it felt like it was a very full, satisfying trip. And I, it was my first time out West. Um, past that was the, my next question. <laughs> yeah. First time West of the Mississippi, which, Woo. you know, um, kind of feels crazy, but you know, there are a lot of circumstances and, and things that have, have led to, uh, I suppose me not getting to travel out West or really, you know, explore many areas and climbing, but mm -hmm. I'm hopeful that, um, well, now that I've done it, I've got that itch. I want to do it again. So yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, I'm excited to to plan another trip. Hopefully, sometime soon. Yeah, hopefully Colorado will be on your agenda next yeah, time. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to. <laughs> yeah, uh, Devin, that's uh, Deuces Hip Hop, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I really want to get him on the show. He yeah, is. He's, he's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. He's. Uh, I think he's buddies with my buddy Luke, who runs the climbing scene, and yes, uh, he he's is. Got some connections he is. there. Yeah, totally. Well, yeah, keep him on my short list for sure. Awesome. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into the kind of nitty gritty here. Like I said, I'm really psyched to have you on and get more of a longer in-depth conversation going. Um, and of course, give the Red River Gorge Climbers Coalition some more love on the show. It's It has gotten a lot of love previously. You're the right. third person I've had on <laughs> that's associated with the area. I had Audrey and Curtis on a few months ago from the stewardship team mm -hmm. and then uh, had Ashley Milanish on, the former ED. Uh, yeah. Geez, that was like, uh, like like over two years ago now. God, time flies. Um, 
So yeah, I, I, I've spoken with a lot of folks in the past that have started off volunteering just with their local uh, LCO. And then as time has gone on, they aspire to have more of a, of a uh, formal role in the organization. Do you have a similar kind of story or what's, what's your history with the organization and how long have you been a part of this team? Yeah, so I joined the Red River Gorge Climbers Coalition at the end of 2019. Um, I, you know, had volunteered in the past. I had helped run, you know, registration at Rocktoberfest. I was very, um, you know, excited to get involved. And I knew many of the board members, half of them uh, lived in Cincinnati and do live in Cincinnati. And so there's a large percentage of us that are in the Cincinnati area. And so, um, you know, in terms of me, you know, advocating for myself in terms of being coming a board member there were many people already on the board who could speak to my me personally and um my volunteer experience with the uh, red river gorge climbers coalition um and so i joined um as just an at-large board member uh back in i think it was november december of 2019 then in you know june around June, we formed what was our DEI committee um, that I currently chair that committee, but um, at the time um, took on the responsibility to chair that committee. It's since then grown to include education and outreach as well. Um, So there are a lot of things (laughs) that we're doing in this Mm -hmm. committee. And, um, And at the end of 2020, I was voted on as secretary. So I do serve on our executive committee as well. Um, I believe that was at the end of the year that we did that. I'm trying to time, you know, with COVID timelines are just all over the place. So (laughs) yeah, things getting Uh, shuffled around all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So not, you know, I suppose uh, in comparison to some of the other long timers on the board, I've been there um, a short amount of time, but uh, I've learned a lot um just being on the board good bad and indifferent like it's just it's been an interesting experience for me uh serving on our board mm-hmm. well yeah more specifically you mentioned uh the dei committee mm-hmm. um said it has grown like into educational uh, efforts and outreach was it did it have a little bit of a different purpose like when the idea was first planted am i understanding or did i hear you correctly yeah so um we 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 really wanted for some of 2020, we really wanted to get specific to what, what our committees were, were doing and really mm-hmm. um, allow the committees the opportunity to get a lot of the work done. And so in deciding how we were going to allocate tasks and responsibilities, um, we decided to move our education and outreach responsibilities into um the DEI committee. And so the committee is now formally like education, DEI and outreach. And another big reason for that is I was also, and am also overseeing our gym to crag program. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, being that I was already responsible for that, it made sense to fold in education, um, which, you know, I've had the privilege of having a background in nonprofit education. So we folded that in as well as outreach because we felt that a lot of our um, DEI efforts and education efforts were also outreach efforts. Um, And I love building partnerships with gyms and, um, you know, everything from gyms to corporate sponsors. And so I felt like my skill set, you know, fit. Uh, And so it made sense, right? Brianna, you know, can oversee all of these things and we'll just make it one committee because those are where my skills uh, fall. But yes, we, um, 
Previously, our Jim DeCrag had been folded into another committee or, or maybe wasn't um, a part of any specific committee. Um, and our outreach efforts were uh, sort of something that everyone did, but we wanted to get more specific with what those were. So we decided to uh, broaden our committee uh, to include ed- education and outreach. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. A little bit more of a yeah restructuring and it made sense. They're all kind of interwoven uh, quite right. a bit. And and yeah, so you, you're running the Jim DeCraig programs and you're also have started or not totally sure how long this has been going on. I'd love to hear some more about it, but the L8 events, this, this right. seems to be kind of new and, and uh, kind of a thing that you've, is you've allowed to blossom out of this, uh, you know, DAI committee chair and education outreach and everything. I'd love to hear us uh, some more about how these events work and how it all got started. Yeah. So um, our Jim DeCraig program started in 2018. Ashley, as you mentioned prior, who's been on the podcast, um, started our Jim DeCraig and, um, so in terms of our Jim DeCrag program, we did some virtually through the COVID pandemic, um, but typically we partner with climbing gyms in the local area. So local meaning Indiana, Kentucky, and Ohio. Um, and we will go to various gyms and teach our Jim DeCrag curriculum, uh, which includes everything from, you know, leave no trace to climbing etiquette, you know, how to behave outside, um, safety, different things like that. And uh, we, we try to have a schedule of about every other month that we are partnering with gyms to do that. Right now, we are currently revamping our presentation and plan to pick up our presentations at the local gyms. Um, actually, this month, I think. I think we have hopes to have one in Louisville uh, in July. Nice. Um, so, you know, thankfully, I sort of picked, uh, I guess I picked up on something that had already existed, right? I was just sort of uh, maintaining it and uh, scheduling and different things like that. Um, but in terms of our Climb Late, which is this gym initiative you mentioned, um, that is new. Um, this is this is our first year, our inaugural year for Climb Late. And we were approached by AL81, um, amazing soda company in Kentucky, um, that um, if you've climbed at the Red, if you've been to Miguel's, you've likely seen it, or maybe you've even had an AL8. Um, so they're a soda company that has supported the Red River Gorge Climbers Coalition for some time. And they provided a few thousand dollars for us to um, essentially, you know, create a program or an initiative that was focused on inclusion efforts, diverse diversity efforts, equitable access efforts, and um, they would financially support it. So um, we met as a team and decided um, that because so many climbers, especially now, are getting their start in the rock climbing gym, it was our responsibility to meet them where they were mm-hmm. and um, you know have a presence in those gyms, have a, have a relationship with those people. Uh, if that looks like mentorship, if that looks like just hanging out and climbing to make them feel comfortable, if that's passing on knowledge, whatever that looks like, it was, it's our responsibility as the Red River Gorge Climbers Coalition to meet these climbers where they're at. And I mean, as a seasoned climber, like I spend so much time in the gym anyway. Um, so, you know, I'm even there. So to, to just imagine the amount of people who aren't frequenting the red as much, who are getting their start in climbing, we wanted to be really intentional and uh, have this program in the local gyms. And so 
Along with that, we wanted to be very specific to who we were serving in terms of offering free admission and rentals on the nights that we host. And so um, we offer free climbing. So free climbing being the folks can come to the gym, their admission is waived, their shoe rental, harness rental is waived, and they can come to the gym and our events last about two hours, but no one's kicking them out afterwards. Like they can climb (laughs) until the gym closes. Mm -hmm. And um, this event is offered to to black climbers, indigenous climbers, uh, people of color, folks in the LGBTQIA plus community, um, adaptive climbers, and then also new climbers. So regardless of demographic, race, gender, orientation, whatever, a brand new climber can come and um, get their admission and rentals and all of that for free. And those that cannot financially afford the means, right? And so we're not we're not out there like asking for pay stubs. We're not out there asking those odd questions. But like, if you let me know, you know, I want to come. I don't have a membership and like, I don't even own my own pair of shoes. Like, yes, come for free, (laughs) like come for free climb, you know, let's figure out a way to get you some climbing shoes. And like, we want to, we want to open this up to as many people who have a need as possible. Um, So those are the folks that we serve completely free uh, every single month. It's funny because this month is actually the first month that we are hosting in two separate cities. So we have an event on the 21st in Cincinnati. So July 21st in Cincinnati and then July 30th in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, So we have grown rather quickly and expanded to three different states uh, since our very first event, which was January of this year. (laughs) Um, So it has exploded and in a, in a great way, you know, yes, I am the, the host, the facilitator, you know, the founder of this program, along with my team at the Red River Gorge Climbers Coalition. But, um, you know, I don't feel necessarily too overwhelmed. I have a great team of volunteers and people that have come out and are so excited to help. And um, we have only seen this grow. I have only been able to make more and more connections in Indianapolis in Cincinnati and Lexington, which are the three cities where our events take place. Um, you know, I, I attribute it to my background in social service and community service to sort of know uh, who to reach out to in the community, right? Like I, I want to make connections with local schools. I want to make connections with local nonprofits. And, um, you know, at, at, at the nonprofit that I work in my paid career, I work with at-risk youth and um, out-of-school youth. And so, you know, I want to reach those kids in other communities as well and invite them in and allow them an opportunity to try rock climbing. They can't afford it. Well, come on in. Like you can climb for free. Um, and maybe you'll come back and maybe we can figure out ways to get you some climbing shoes or, um, you know, prorated gym admission or something like that down the road. Um, we want to, the idea behind this program is to, to be there for all of these groups of people and invite them into a welcoming community where they don't have to worry about how they're going to pay for it. Um, they can just come and have fun and be with other people that look like them, that are from the same community groups, that um, have similar interests, and also be around folks who who could possibly be a mentor to them down the road. Um, You know, we 
a number of different board members attend these events every month. And um, we're available. If people have questions, they want to ask us about climbing in the red, they want to talk to us about rock climbing, you know, we want to be there uh, to fill that, you know, position or role or, or be whatever they need us to be, you know. Um, so it, it's just I'm, I'm very excited about it. I'm passionate about it. We had over 50 people come out to Lexington last last month, which honestly was only about a week ago. It's Friday. So, yeah, last week, last Friday, um, we hosted our first event in Lexington, Kentucky and had over 50 people come out. It was just amazing. It was absolutely Excellent. amazing. Awesome. Well, first of all, just congratulations. Thank what you. a tremendous job, tremendous job. And uh, like you said, January, I think uh, when it got started in six mm-hmm. short, short months, you're just like, yeah, exploding more people, uh, positive feedback, everything. And real quick, I need to uh, correct myself earlier. I pronounced it as L8, not late. And I'm, I feel like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, L8 is our, is our sponsor. So it's an easy mistake to make. And we, we are calling it climb late with L8 as like a, we, we envision that our program is going to grow to include other sponsors, but we wanted to give, you know, notoriety and credit to like our initial funder. And so we did, we did take, um, there was some intentionality behind that name. So no worries at all. <laughs> totally. And I, you're probably going to call it blasphemy here, but I, d- I did not have an L8 when I was oh. in the red. <laughs> I feel silly that I saw it sitting there. And I just never, I just never got one. So <laughs> I feel like I'm missing out on something huge. <laughs> it's great. Um, I love it. Yeah. Uh, well, so yeah. Okay. So these late events are uh, just a a, uh, a pool of positivity, and I, I love it. However, I, I I've seen a couple uh, you know advertisements you you have put out the that the RRGCC has put out, and I I read through the comments and I just it makes my stomach turn because mm-hmm. there are those negative comments thinking mm-hmm. there are just I forget the term that that one gentleman used but it just really irked me and I'm sure you've seen it too but do you can you tell us how you might respond to that negativity when you guys are trying to do something so positive? Yeah, um, you know I found that this is sort of. A lifelong experience, something I've experienced for a long time, you know, as an advocate, um, as an advocate for equitable access and, uh, you know, sort of the amplifying melanated voices, if you will, like the voices of black and brown people and then climbers in in a setting um, like this, you know, it's it comes with the territory. I suppose it it's sort of the thing that um, you expect, right? Because there are um, because racism does exist, um, and in in a sport like rock climbing, which its history has been very white, um, the, it only makes sense that some of that would be deeply enrooted in in this sport. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when I post different things and when I share different initiatives, like I I expect it to come. It's going to come. It, it of course, is like a matter of how we respond or choose not to respond or how the community responds. That's most important, honestly. And to see the climbing community rally behind us where it's like one loud, angry voice and a hundred plus positive voices is a wonderful thing. Um, But I am the only woman of color on our board of directors. And so it is navigating these spaces as a person who is incredibly like I am I'm I'm one person out of out of the 11 of us. Right. That is a woman of color. And so um, and an indigenous woman at that. And so with that come a lot of interesting conversations to navigate when Mm -hmm. 
um, these comments um, or things are, are brought up of like, how do we deal with it? Do we respond? Don't we respond? And so, um, you know, I, I think a lot of times choosing not to respond is is the smartest thing, right? You can't engage with uh, keyboard courage, if you will, the way that people choose to um, hide behind their keyboards and say things that are hateful and hurtful and just plain out like wrong um, about mm-hmm. certain you know initiatives and the way in which um, climbing is transforming to be more inclusive and have these hard conversations. I think that all of these conversations are so important and all of these different initiatives and platforms I mean, I, the list could go on, but I find it so important. However, you know, you you find comments like, oh, well, just stick to climbing. Like, I don't want to talk about politics in my rock climbing. I think, you know, I don't want to, you know, why is the RRGCC taking a platform on this or that? And, um, you know, I think more so than anything, it's finding the energy within myself to continue to keep going and understand mm-hmm. that, um because I have had some really um, hard conversations and situations arise um, over the last year and a half. And as a volunteer, um, you know, I, I start to wonder, like, is this, do I deserve this sort of thing? Like, do I deserve to be treated this way? Do I deserve, like, is this where I want to put forth my energy? And, um, you know, I, I know it is, I know it is where I want to dedicate my time and energy, regardless of how hurtful and hateful and, you know, awful people can be. I believe in it. Um, I believe in, you know, climb late with AL8. I believe in the, the Jedi work, the equitable access work. Um, and not only that, but like everything else, right? Like stewardship and conservation and everything in terms of climbing advocacy. Um, I just really believe in it. And so that keeps me going. Those positive responses, the community rallying up behind us, having people reach out to me individually, like, hey, I realize that like, this is problematic. These people are leaving these comments and people are being really hateful and and all of this, but I want you to know we support you. And not that truly shines through uh, within the climbing community, but I think the, the climbing community as a whole has a lot still to learn. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I'd say, you know, less so like, should we as a coalition or me as an individual, like publicly respond to that? Um, I like to sit back and see how the community at large responds. And um, but for me, really, it's like that inner battle of continuing to push forward when sometimes it's hard. Some, I mean, sometimes it's really hard <laughs> to keep going and keep pushing forward. Right. Um, but yeah, I truly believe in it. So, um, I keep going. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, if you truly believe in it, then, uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Don't let other people push you around and, and, and stop you in your tracks when you are, are doing something so positive. And I think the RRGCC, uh, is without knowing it or not, you're, you're redefining what access means mm-hmm. and access can often mean just like a physical, uh, just a physical element, but this is more of a, um, just social, the social element of access and you guys are putting your best foot forward to redefine that. And like you said, when folks say like, just stick to climbing, keep climbing, climbing or something to that effect. I mean, I feel the same way 
when someone uses their platform uh, to speak out on something, but they're told to just stick to whatever, whether that's sure. sports, acting, when actors might speak up about something, just shut up and dribble, as LeBron James right. was told once. Like it pisses me off. And people's voices get removed when they have a platform and their license to have a have an opinion gets revoked, and that just doesn't seem fair to me. Mm-hmm. I agree. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, all right. Sorry, getting a little heated. <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, I'm really passionate about it, too. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's no mystery that your name has become synonymous with this topic as you speak about it so passionately and intelligently. I mean, you really know your stuff. Has, you have the experience. And I've taken quite a bit away from what you've shared through social media. And I know I'm not the only one. So I'd like to hear more about how this advocacy journey has unfolded for you. Um, you know, you've been working in this nonprofit field for a while, I guess, was there a critical turning point or moment that you decided to start working on this as it, when it comes to climbing? Well, like I said, so I graduated college in 2014, the end of 2014, and went directly into um, working with a local nonprofit in the area that I live. So I live in a neighborhood called Price Hill in Cincinnati, and it is um, one of the more dangerous neighborhoods in the area. It's, um, you know, pretty impoverished as well. And so I started working with the community um, back in 2014. However, my the biggest reason that I wanted to go into this work was because it was, you know, I got to work with people that were like my friends growing up and like the community that I've, I've lived in my entire life. So I'm from the, the East side of Cleveland, um, you know, grew up in like not the best circumstances and, um, went to public school, like did, did it all. And so what I really, what truly drove me to go into the social, social service, uh, arena after college was like, I want to work with people that I know I can relate to and like possibly help them, towards their next step in success, like self-sufficiency or whatever that looks like. And so it started well before my climbing career, but that passion and, and fire inside me, you know, as soon as I started climbing, I was like, well, where can I find my, where can I find a place to continue this, but just in the, the outdoor industry, right? Like mm-hmm. transitioning from social service to the outdoor industry. And, you know, it, there are a lot of parallels there of like, you know, certain folks are, they don't, they don't, they don't have access to climbing for the same reasons that like the youth I've worked with for the last seven years can't afford an apartment. Like there, there are a lot of parallels and obviously like an apartment is much more necessary than, than rock climbing. So even more so it's like, and these people still can't have access to it. Like, like, let me get to the bottom of that. And so, you know, when I, started climbing. Yeah. I was really truly like engulfed in like my own performance, but over time, you know, as a person of color, like recognizing like my, uh, shortcomings in the community. Um, and as I dove deeper and deeper and deeper into involvement with the climbing community, as I expanded beyond my own, um, performance goals, but like really truly like looked at the community at large, I was like, wow, there are a lot of issues here. Um, let me see how I can help. And so for me, um, you know, whether or not this is like a healthy decision or, or not, like for me, I understood that as a woman of color, if I wanted to have a voice in the climbing community, one, I had to be a good rock climber. Um, and, and whether or not folks or listeners agree with that, like 
professional rock climbers, I'm not a professional rock climber, but like folks who are skilled um, have the floor, right? Like, um, and it, it just, it, it sometimes is interesting because like the more notoriety you gain, the more skill you have, for some reason, <laughs> you then have the floor. And so for me, it was like, I want to get better um, at rock climbing for myself. But also I recognize that like, as a woman of color, who's like, nearing her thirties. Like I didn't start rock climbing when I was in my early twenties, but like I had a lot of catching up to do. If I want to have the floor, if I want to have a position to speak, um, you know, I needed to do X, Y, and Z. And also like, I saw this organization as the leader in our community. And for me, that was, you know, I felt so passionately about, uh, the things that I was driven towards that I wanted to be able to, um, have a seat at the table. I wanted to have a seat at the table to have these conversations with the other board members, with the community, but also like, I truly feel very passionately about the work, um, that's being done, but, you know, to speak transparently, that work wasn't being done with the RGCC until mm-hmm. 2020. And so, you know, yes, I, I was very psyched on climbing and I was really psyched to help out the climbing community and like serve in that way, because that's just, me by nature, I like to serve um, others, but I also recognize that there was a void. And so, you know, in 2020, it was like, we had all these hard conversations about implementing this new committee and all of this work and all of these ideas that need to get done because this is, you know, this is the future for climbing. And um, so, you know, I think that my experiences growing up led to my work in social service and wanting to just work in the community in a similar community that I grew up in. Um, and then, you know, when I started climbing and, you know, I, I sort of wanted to find a place for that, uh, in the climbing community, in my climbing community as well to do that work. Um, mm-hmm. so hopefully that made sense. <laughs> oh no, totally. Totally. Cool, I mean, cool. you had a, okay. you had a- yeah, no, totally. You had a broader perspective, I think, that, that you were able to bring in to the climbing community and now have made a tremendous difference since then. I mean, 100%. Like, what do those discussions look like at the board level when, like, those first couple of conversations? Um, did you guys feel like you're behind the ball here and, and falling behind and not getting ahead of the game? Or was it just say, okay, we're, we're ready to dive into this. What's step number one? What do those discussions look like? Um, so I'd say early on, it was like, it was a lot of, um, there was a lot of back and forth. I don't think necessarily we were behind the ball by any mm-hmm. means. Um, I think we were probably on the same track as many other local climbing organizations because I'm, you know, was such good friends with Andrea. We had a lot of conversations, Andrea Hassler, who is the executive director for the Southeastern Climbers Coalition. We got to have a lot of conversations about what she was doing with her organization. And so we, um, we did feel like the timing was um, pretty right, um, you know, as an organization. Me personally, my own opinions like could have been done sooner, sort of thing. But I'm a I'm a go- sure. I'm a get- I'm a doer, so I'm mm-hmm. like we need to do it right now. Um, so it fell in line with when um, things were happening with other organizations. Um, so I suppose in terms of like, did we fall behind I, on the greater, broader spectrum? We were in line with what other organizations were doing. My personal opinions, we could have done things sooner. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, um, 
I was a, a newer board member. And so it's like, you know, how many things do you want to bring up and talk about and initiate change for all at one time when I'm still sort of establishing my place, um, if you will. But, you know, I'd say at the time, um, I was the only woman on our board. I was the only woman of color on our board. Um, there was a black woman who was on our board for a while. She um, had left at that time. And so as we're having these hard conversations, I'm speaking to nine other white men. And so it was a lot of, you know, I wanted to leave space to educate and listen. Um, I'm not like going to throw my fist down and be like, I am right. <laughs> no, but like, I, I, you know, these, these guys are my friends. Um, the board, our board members are my friends. And so I want to allow space for education and conversation. And, um, you know, I have to understand that in that people, every single individual is coming to this conversation with, a completely different background, a completely different perspective. And some of those perspectives are not the same. And Mm -hmm. if I have, if I'm going to succeed, if I'm going to push forward with this in any way, I need to sit down, allow for everyone to have a voice in the room and figure out how we move forward. And so the big conversation was how does this work align with our mission? Right. We are a nonprofit organization, so we have to make sure we're aligning with our mission and our vision and our values and the strategy that we've written down. Um, and so I had the opportunity to work with our communications director to write it out. This is exactly why this work, this Jedi work has been coined by the Access Fund. This Jedi work aligns with our mission because of a number of reasons. And so to be able to show my board who may or may not have agreed with everything that I was bringing to the table, that this work aligns with exactly what we're saying. I mean, that's, those are the conversations that need to be had. Like, like you can't just say, I want to do this. I want to redact these route names, but then not come up with a solution that is that everyone understands and everyone can kind of get on board with it. It it has to make sense to everybody or else, you know, you're going to get voted down. And that's the the nature of the beast. Like, sure, we may feel really passionate about something as climbers. And if we serve on a board, we want to initiate change. But if you can't convince the 12 other people at the table because you maybe have a poor attitude or, you know, for a, for a number of reasons, like, right, if you can't have those conversations and make them understand your perspective, why you care so much about it, to get the buy-in from every single person, well, chances are you're, you're not going to move forward, regardless of how important it is to move forward in that particular, you know, arena. Um, and so it was, a, it was taxing <laughs> to, um, to do that, you know, to have the conversations with our board and it still is today, right? Like, I mean, I'm great friends with our board, uh, with my board members and, um, you know, our committee's really strong and we get a lot of things done and a lot of things moving, but like those, those first few weeks and months, it took a lot of conversation, a lot of conversation, a lot of taxing and exhausting conversation just to make people understand because I'm a I'm a brown indigenous woman and I don't expect 
my white male board member, board president to, uh, to have the same experiences as me. And so it's really just about having those conversations of like, our experiences are different. We're both climbers, like let's talk. And then maybe you and everyone else will understand where I'm coming from and feel compelled to some degree to take action on these initiatives and these mm-hmm. next steps and these things for the community. Yeah, you know, yeah. as you know, I can't expect a, a white man to understand why black people fear going to a particular area to rock climb. Um, what I can do is talk and have conversations and try and, and, and build some empathy enough to understand that like, we're saying climbing's for everybody. And we're saying we want to preserve this for future generations. Well, what, what do future generations look like? Cause they're not just white folks, right? Like mm-hmm. we've got folks from all backgrounds now getting into climbing and, and who have been climbing um, and who maybe haven't felt included. And so it's really yeah. just about having the conversations, having the yeah. conversations. Well, I think I really see your experience playing off here because what you said was you, you allowed room for conversation, allowed room for listening. And that mm-hmm. is that is key is to be able to listen mm-hmm. on both sides. And from for someone who looks and speaks like myself, you know, they just can't relate to the experiences that you may have had or another person of color has had just because they just they've never had to deal with that before in their lives and potentially never will have to. So I just I think, yeah, just not that there's there's that disconnect right there. And the way you approach it just makes it seem relatable and they can grasp where you're coming from. And then that's what, that's where progress can happen. Right. And I just feel like there's always room to listen, just at least listen for God's Mm -hmm. sakes. Like the other day I was, you know, scrolling through this, the social media and climbing magazine posted something related to the, all these topics, all these topics that we're talking about. And I mean, of course, you know, the white male in the comments is like, no one gives a shit. It's like, well, People do give a shit, including me <laughs> and you, because we're talking right. about this right now. But it's just like, yeah, it's, it's just like, man, you, you just can't relate. I cannot personally relate, but I can grow that empathy mm-hmm. to understand better, to keep learning. Because my my background is in like stewardship. And when it comes to nonprofits and local climate organizations, like I am most experienced in stewardship. Mm-hmm. Now, here's an arena for me to learn in. And it's it's. I've grown a lot personally, and I, if I can do it, everyone else can do it too. So just take the time to listen is all I got to say about that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate your perspective too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you see as the most pressing issue in the climate community? Is it inclusion? Is it uh, racial implications like like root naming, uh, acknowledging native lands? Is there, can you even pick one thing that you, that is the most pressing <laughs> issue? You know, and even outside of that, right, like there are these issues of climate, uh, you know, climate issues and conservation issues and all of that. Um, you know, I think within within the Jedi work, I suppose, if I were to pick like the most problematic thing, um, I think that there is still a mentality that climbing isn't racist, like climbing doesn't discriminate Um, I think that honestly, because that is the umbrella that encompasses everything else, uh, the mindset of climbers who come to the conversation with the idea that like climbing doesn't discriminate, everyone's welcome. And like this, um, 
sort of, if you will, all lives matter perspective um, Mm -hmm. that, you know, that it's, that's not real. It's not happening. Like the nobody cares comment or like even worse than that, like this isn't, this isn't true. Like people aren't discriminated against in climbing, like black and brown and people of all races and gender identities and everything, they can all come and climb. Like that is just not true. And so I think the mindset of climbers, um, you know, there are a lot, a lot of amazing people out there doing the work and and who uh, are great allies and advocates and activists in the community. But there is still this problem that um, of the mentality that it's, not real, or it's causing more division than it is um, inclusion. And so I think the biggest problem in the climbing community in regards to equitable access, diversity, inclusion, social justice, um, you know, um, yeah, all of that is just like a fixed mindset that it's not real, that it's not like that racism is, doesn't exist in climbing. You know, mm-hmm. as a, at a broader scale, if you want, um, I think that uh, the biggest thing that we need to address in climbing as a whole is, um, you know, I I kind of sum it down to education, right? Like if I were to pick like one thing, it would be education. Like we need to educate new climbers on not only these Jedi practices and like inclusion and equitable access, but like on conservation and stewardship and safety. And, um, you know, that's how we're going to preserve our crags by educating people on leave no trace. And so as you have this boom, right. In inclusion, and I spoke to this a little bit, I did a, an article a while back for the access fund and I got the opportunity to talk a little bit about this, but as we're seeing this boom, of new climbers, right? Like the Olympics are, we're on the horizon of the Olympics, which are going to just, I think, explode the sport. Um, As we're seeing new climbers come in, as we're creating these um, spaces, these safer spaces for new climbers and folks of all backgrounds, and as we're seeing this growth, how do we address this growth that we wanna see and make sure folks are educated enough to preserve these climbing areas for ever, if possible. Like, how do we bring all of that into the fold and just make sure that folks are educated Um, and educated in conservation and stewardship practices, educated in inclusion and equitable access, educated in it all. I just think that, um, you know, educated in like how to have conversations if you want to, you know, at the board level of like protecting uh, climbing access and, and various things like that. Like, you know, educating and listening and having conversations are probably the the biggest things that the climbing community could probably grow in personally. Having those conversations, being, you know, yeah, yeah, we've said that already, but like, yeah, having those <laughs> conversations, educating, I think it's all um, really, really important personally. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think there is a, a level of I hate of ignorance. I, I think I think that word carries a negative connotation to it. But you don't know what you don't know until right. you know. So there's the education component, and if you can just yeah be open minded to learning, then you can just understand better. And that's that's exactly. where I'm at. That's where a lot of people are at. I mean, you know, yeah. It's it's uh, I think just yeah getting over that level of just not knowing what's going on just will op- will open 
uh, perspectives and and mm-hmm. you know it's just part of life like life is just like one big i think learning curve honestly right. is this is just one part of it none of this lives in a vacuum it's all i just see it being interwoven and it all yeah. is gonna affect each other for um, sure yeah, you mentioned that that blog post uh, or the op-ed you wrote for the Access Fund, and I took a took a little like a little snippet from it. I really enjoyed reading that um, that uh, short article, and you state in there like community is everything, and we we need to rely on each other. And I mean that's what we do in climbing, right? We're, we we rely on each other, but mm-hmm. this notion of uh, reliability and trust needs to be taken beyond just tying into the sharp end. And your partner holding the break end, I, I, th- I see it as another life lesson that can be taken from climbing. And I can, you know, talk about all these cheesy, silly metaphors and life and climbing and stuff. But I think that really is something to be taken from what you said: as community is everything, and we need to hold each other up here. Right. Exactly. And, and more than just like, yeah, as climbing partners, but like understand, right. Like as you know, when we're, when we're doing, when we're just climbing, right. We are literally holding someone else's lives in our hands. And so how do we take that same mentality when we're off the wall to conserve our space, like conserve our climbing spaces, to protect our climbing spaces, to protect our fellow climbers, like, it's, mm-hmm. we, we already have the skills, right. To solve problems as climbers. It, we just need to recognize that like we can also have the hard conversations and do the hard work. Like we already do it on the wall. So yeah. it's only one additional, it's like the same, it's the same thing, just a different flavor, right? Like we just, <laughs> we, we just take it from being on the wall and like apply it to all these different areas and climbing. We already have the skills to do it. Yeah, um, and yeah. so that's something I like to communicate is like, we're already problem solvers. We already work hard. We're already dedicated to this thing. Like we have the skills. Let's just go do it. <laughs> just go do it. Yeah. I, I call it, you know, nike just, just do it. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, thanks, Brianna. That was, uh, yeah. wow. We could, I could talk to you about this stuff all day. That was great. And I think that was a nice segue into our kind of our final topic here and, uh-huh. and taking your little level of dedication that you have in social advocacy, social equity and everything and applying that to your personal climbing. And we, I don't talk about people's personal climbing all that much on the show, but I feel like I did need to address it with you here just a little bit at the end. Um, yeah, your your social media posts and everything, and you know, I, I caught on pretty quickly that your level of dedication to the sport and to your own personal goals and aspirations is very high, and I'm inspired by that. And there is one particular uh, boulder problem that you that you highlighted uh, not so long ago, I believe, is in Tennessee um, mm. that seemed to be seemed to hold a real significance for you in your personal climbing journey. Uh, it's called a face in the crowd. And mm-hmm. I would love to hear a little bit more of that sto- the story and significance behind that particular boulder problem. Yeah. So a face in the crowd, um, what I sent a face in the crowd, it was my project for a little while back in, um, I think it was November or December. I can't remember exactly. It might've been December. It was the tail end of like, or, or the beginning of, I suppose, depending on who you are, um, the bouldering season for me. And so, um, it was my first outdoor V7. Um, I had actually, uh, only sent my first indoor V7, like a couple weeks prior to that. And, um, so, you know, I had, always had in my mind that that was going to be the V7 that I, I I wanted to send as my first. Um, I, you know, the, 
the movement really spoke to my strengths and I really fell in love with it. Um, really liked being at Stonefort in Tennessee. Um, it's a great place to boulder. And, um, but you know, I, I got on it, um, maybe for the first time, um, truly like in February of 2020 and then like the pandemic hit. And so we're kind of on lockdown and I couldn't, um, get, to Tennessee, let alone out of my own state or even my house. And um, so we had a climbing gym. We have a climbing gym in my basement and I trained. I wanted to meet the goal of sending V7 before my 30th birthday was over. Um, And yeah, I set that goal and I was, you know, gonna, gonna reach that goal, whatever it took. And you know, as I am a boulder, I'm also a sport climber. And so I, as you know, the restrictions lifted, like we kind of all got a little crazy. I think of like, oh my gosh, we need to do everything right now because we've been locked inside for a few months. And so we actually ended up like back in the red, um, almost every week and we were sport climbing and I was pursuing some like what I will say were like a little less of importance for me, um, sport climbing goals. And I was like going back and forth between this, the set bouldering goal that I had of sending a face in the crowd and like this other sport climbing goal. And just like every other weekend I was doing something different and I was failing. Um, I like, you know, almost, you know, get to the chains and I fail on my sport climbing goal. I, I could do every move on the boulder problem, but the, the hardest problem on there. Um, and so what I recognized in November was like, I'm going to stop sport climbing. I'm going to stop sport climbing and I'm going to really focus on bouldering. And, um, you know, I then after went down maybe one more time before the weekend that I sent my project and I was able to do all the moves, but one move. Um, and so, you know, being able to just focus on that discipline and specifically that boulder, um, and not think about, you know, another discipline like sport climbing or something like that, um, really helped, uh, me hone in my focus and yeah. And then I, I went down maybe two weeks later and was finally able to stick the hardest move for me. And I, and I sent the problem and, um, you know, for me, it, it held a lot of, um, it was very special to me because I think being able to do that coming out of a quarantine, which I've never experienced before being on, you know, locked in my home, working from home, like all of these different things that I hadn't experiencing a pandemic for the first time, Mm -hmm. like all of these things. Um, you know, I think I was pretty convinced that I would just come out of it and get on the rock and feel, weak and, um, as though I, I, I couldn't, you know, I was nowhere near where I was before, but, uh, yeah, I just hoped and prayed that the training that I did would pay off. And it was, it was cool because, you know, for me, I, I do a lot of like comparison. I, I tend to fall in the trap. Like my ego is not my friend sometimes. <laughs> and, um, you and me and both. Both. Yeah. So I'm in the gym and I'm like, I'm not able to to do this one move or whatever it is. And I see someone else who can, and I get really down on myself. So also, you know, to be able to lock myself in my basement and not have to climb with anybody, but just train and work hard. Like I was able to go back in the gym once the restrictions lifted and actually climb stronger than I had before. Cause I hadn't in my head, I wasn't getting tripped up by that comparison trap. 
Um, like seeing other climbers maybe send something that I am working on still or whatever. <laughs> um, so there were just so many different things within that year that, um, that made sending that boulder problem really special for me. I think most of all though, because I had accomplished the goal of sending V7, an outdoor V7 by my 30th birthday. And it was like two months before I turned 31. I turned 31 this past, this February, 2021. Mm -hmm. Um, But to be able to do that, uh, because I do have goals uh, past that, like my goal for this year is to send V8 before I turn 32, which will be in February. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I've got it, I've got it picked out. Uh, It's the black light in the new. Um, I looked that up. Yeah. It's on a really uh, beautiful piece of rock. Um, it actually, there's two boulder problems um, on this boulder, and it is the V8, um, which exits to the right, and then the V9, which is like includes like a dyno at the top. So I actually uh, have both of those on my list. Those are going to be my V8 that I hope to send um, and have set the goal to send this year. And then the V9 is, is next up <laughs> because I'll have. I'll have done three quarters of the problem. And so really there's just like a different way of exiting the boulder uh, that pushes the grade up a whole grade. Um, But, you know, I'm, and then the, 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 the goal for me, right. Is V10 by 35. Um, And so I've got, you know, a number of years left and I've had a lot of really awesome friends who are like, yes, you can do this. Like for sure. My coach, um, she's like, yeah, we can do this. Um, and so I feel really, uh, excited. I feel like it's practical, right? I'm not just shooting for the stars. I think for me, like a face in the crowd was lists. Like when I set that goal, I was like, I'm never going to reach that goal. Like that's crazy. Um, and because I think when I had set that, you know, my hardest outdoor grade was maybe V4 or something like that. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm never going to reach that goal. Um, and I think sometimes we set these audacious goals, uh, for ourselves with literally no intention of achieving them. We just like working towards them and we're like, Oh, if we don't reach it. Like that's okay. We like enjoyed the process or whatever it was, but, um, you know, coming out of quarantine and realizing like I'm stronger than I was before, I'm going to get back on this and see where, where I land. And I, you know, spent, I don't even know how many months, nine months, not climbing on it to come back to do the moves that I couldn't do before. I was like, this is going down. I'm doing this. <laughs> I'm doing this. I'm, I'm going to do this. And before that, it was like just an idea. So for it to become, I think another thing is it showed me that, yeah, maybe I can't do something right now, but if I train and like I put in the dedication I can do it. And maybe not even in that long of time. Right. Like yep. if I, like I, I can't do this right now, but okay. So if I really focus on what I need to do, if I, if I train, if I, you know, take care of my body and do the things that I need to do, like I can do this and I know I can. And so for facing the crowd, it like proved to me that like, even if I can't do something right now, like it could be less than six months from now that I'm able to do that thing. Yeah. Um, So it showed me like certain things that I need to continue to put into practice and with my climbing performance, it taught me to not be afraid of what I can't do right now. Um, and made me excited 
and made me believe that V10 is possible for me. Like my end goal for my climbing career was to one day send V10. But then I sent a face in the crowd and I was like, maybe I should change this up. Maybe I yes, maybe I can send yes. v, maybe I can send V10 sooner than that. And so now the goal is V10 by 35. And like my coaches are like, heck yeah, you can do that. Like, let's do it. Let's let's build a path and let's create some goals and let's write it down and let's get there. Um, and it feels very real and possible, which is like a face in the crowd didn't even feel real or possible at the beginning of 2020. And I sent mm -hmm. it before 2020 was over. So like, I guess my, what I want to say to people is like, if you can't do it right now, that's okay. If you really want it, work hard and you will get there. I mean, you will get there. Like, I don't know. It just showed me that so many things are possible and to be excited about things we aren't even, we don't even know are on the, on the horizon for us. Oh, I'm ready to run through like a brick wall right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, congratulations on your, Thanks. you know, send a face in the crowd. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I just, I could not agree more. Like, what if you set your goal to like climb V7 sometime, like in your climbing career, like you just, you just can't sell yourself short. So why right. not set, set the goal like super high. If you don't quite make it, then so be it. But like, you didn't sell yourself short. Like you didn't, you didn't, put a ceiling on what your potential was because if, right. if you do say that then you're hosed then you're not going to get past that point it's just yeah so yeah, wonderful perspective and i really wanted to talk about this personal climbing part because i see those parallels between your advocacy work and your your personal climbing journey so i feel like there's a lot of connection there so thanks for connecting the dots and i feel like uh, the first thing we ever talked about on instagram was our audacious goal of like climbing 514 one day yeah and I so i think that. it's nice to bring it kind of full circle right now and talk about it one more time yeah yeah <laughs> so, no, thank you i appreciate it yeah final question i ask sure. everyone this at the end of the show what is your definition of advocacy so i think that you know, you, you think about like the Webster's dictionary definition of advocate and it's like, oh, you, you know, feel passionately about something. But I think for me, an advocate, and, and sometimes I don't even like to use that word, honestly, like I think it's almost too lukewarm. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I, I think that, you know, to define myself as an advocate, I want to be so much more than just an advocate. I want to be an organizer, an activist, a doer. Like I don't, I don't want to be just an advocate, just someone who feels or is passionate about something. But for me, like I think that an advocate is someone who is boots on the ground and does the work. Like it is someone who is so completely sold out and passionate about something that it bleeds from them for lack of a better <laughs> metaphor. Like it, it, you know, you, you see it in their work, you, it's not performative. They're not just you know, saying the right things, but the work is being done. And I think too, like an advocate is someone who you don't even need to place that label on because you know that it's, you know that they're doing it. And that's just like a, a nice little thing to add to like their resume of skills or whatever it is. Like an advocate is someone that you don't even need to like, you don't even need to necessarily even label them as such because their work is it's just bleeds from them it just seeps out of their you know of who they are um they just are completely sold out and passionate about it about whatever that work is that they're doing all right 
thanks everyone for tuning in. I, I really hope you all enjoy this show as much as I enjoy making it. It's a lot of fun putting this together each month for you all to tune in and listen to. So thanks so much for listening. Before you depart, I want to run a few things by you. I started the show to bolster the efforts that these advocates do year after year, and of course, to support the mission of Access Fund. So I'd like to ask you to either donate or better yet, become a member of Access Fund. Your support and membership goes a long way to help them with their mission of conserving, stewarding, and advocating for climbing. There are varying levels that you can can become a member at, but you can get started for as low as 20 bucks a year, and after that, you can reap all kinds of awesome benefits with first getting a free t-shirt and getting amazing discounts on some of the best climbing products out there. It's all listed on Access Fund's website, accessfund.org, so check it out. If you're a rock climber, please consider becoming a member of Access Fund. Second, if you want to do me a huge solid, please subscribe to the show and leave a glowing review and comment on Apple Podcasts. After that, jump on those social media channels and share it with your friends. It goes a long, long way, and I'd greatly appreciate if you helped me out with that one. So thanks again for listening. I really appreciate it, and I'll catch you all next time.